Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My guest today, Richard Marrett, is the CEO and co-founder of Wiz Education and its flagship product, Maths Wiz. Wiz was created with a mission to enable communities around the world to reach their full potential through individualized learning. It has offices all around the globe. Now, on top of this, Richard actively drives and participates in product research and innovation. He's obviously a very clever chap, collaborating with research partners and universities, furthering the frontiers of online virtual tutoring and capability building and using ICT for learning. Richard, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a CV that is quite astounding. You are clearly far cleverer than me. And it, you are, uh, your name has been mentioned to me by the lovely Melanie Fowler, but also quite a number of other people. So I've been particularly excited about speaking to you today. And uh, I'll start with nothing other than thank you so much for finding the time to join us. Um, but really, really excited about what you have to say for, for reasons that everyone is about to find out. So thank you, Richard Marrett, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Obvious place to start, Richard. Uh, where did it all begin for Richard Marrett? And, and where, where did this wonderful idea come from? Uh, well, well, my background is in uh, mathematics. Uh, I, actually, I grew up internationally. My, my dad sort of traveled different countries every two years. So I knew whatever I was going to do was probably going to be global in its nature. Um, and my background's in mathematics. I read mathematics at Oxford University. Uh, but then left that, I ended up having a financial advisory business out in Singapore and Vietnam in my 20s. And one of the things we started doing was financial education. To, to expats living around um, around the uh, you know Asia region, and it was it was really interesting because personal finance is something that we all have to handle and administer, but we get very little education in it. So we started doing public seminars, corporate seminars, all sorts of things uh, to help improve personal financial education. But it wasn't very scalable. I only had a certain number of hours in a day, and. Uh, so had an opportunity to transition out of that business or sell it in fact. And, uh, I, I really got the bug for education because I think it's one of the greatest, I love learning. And I think if you can empower the learning in others, you're, you're doing something pretty cool. And what I was really interested in doing was finding a way to deliver that in a more scalable way. And that, uh, what, the thing about mathematics, it's a sort of global requirement. It's a very foundational kind of skill. And it's one of those things that in school, I don't know about you, but I remember being in school and I went to quite a few of them and half the class would have that sort of glazed look on their face whenever we were in maths class. And it, and it just doesn't need to be that way. It's a, it's a language we're all inherently good at. And so I had the good fortune to meet a guy called Ron Vandermeer around that time. Um, this was yeah quite a few years ago now, 15 years ago or so. And uh, Ron was the leading creator of pop-up books. 
and he could bring fairly mundane subjects to life, really make them very interactive uh, in the form of books. And I, I met him and he said, well, uh, look, that's what I can do with books. Imagine what we could do online. And so when I met him, I had sort of this view that I wanted to create a, a, an education company that made a measurable learning difference. Uh, and he, he kind of showed me how he could turn turn things into very interactive experiences online. And he actually had the concept for what is our flagship sort of platform called MathsWiz. And so we got together and um, made that happen. And and MathsWiz is basically a platform that simulates the behavior of a private tutor. It it does uh, mathematics lessons. We're using interactive animations that bring the subject to life. But it's powered by algorithms that can identify a child's strengths and weaknesses and adapt the learning journey to that particular child because we're all different. And um, in a classroom with 30 children, with a teacher, and 45 minutes, the best one in the world, the teacher can't cater to their individual needs consistently. So we can support teachers by filling those gaps that a private tutor normally would or a virtual tutor can. Wow, I'm sitting here thinking back to the days. I mean, we have a lot in common already. And there's a lot I do know about youth through the research we've carried out, but a lot of of stuff I don't know. Um, And a couple of points you've raised already, which are of interest, I think, to a lot of people is, number one, I I think, you know, it's interesting your take on on mathematics because, you know, I was one of the kids that sat there with a glazed look on my face, I must admit. and, and and some of us, you know, do do really struggle with that. I don't know where that comes from, I, but I I love the fact that and, and and I you know to one degree or another, we're all trying to embrace this artificial intelligence. So I, I know that from what you've said, Wiz uses AI to teach children, uh, mirroring the behaviour of like a like a real life human being. And actually thinking about the last sort of number of months uh, and all the kids being off school, it's, it's kind of a shame that all the listeners to this podcast didn't know about you before now, but anyway, um, how important is it, do you think, to have that human approach? Because that's what's so amazing about your your business, that you've got technology uh, being delivered in a in a very humanistic way. Is, is, that, is, is that the essence of what you're trying to do? There's some distinctions here that are really worth um, uh, diving into. So, our, our platform is a virtual tutoring system. There is no human sitting on the other side of a mm. sort of online call. It's it's continually adapting, and that makes it really scalable. And that's what we wanted to democratize private tutoring um, yeah. because private tutoring is expensive, and so that's that's possible. Um, and we use algorithms to simulate the tutoring behavior of a private tutor. But one thing is that a private tutor or a teacher, and that's why we're always, we feel we're in support of a teacher is a teacher can look eye to eye at a human to human level. And that's as long as we're around, I believe that's going to be critically important. Uh, but what the human tutor doesn't have, they don't have a, a human teacher teacher in school doesn't have a 64 hour day. And so you know, I think that's where a virtual tutor can make a really big difference. As I said, tailoring targeted tuition to every child's individual needs and mm-hmm. gaps as they arise. Saying that, uh, Sandra, what's really interesting, I remember when we, we started out, it, it, and I think in the business plan, it was going to take us a year to develop a prototype. It took, in fact, three years to just get to prototype level and a lot of hair loss on my behalf. And um, But once we, we got it live, it... It worked. We started collecting a load of learning data and obviously speaking to to children and their parents and their teachers and what a difference it was making. And in fact, 
even now I can share with you the data, whether you work with a human private tutor or a, a virtual tutor, uh, just an hour a week, over a year, a child will typically make over 18 months worth of learning progress in maths in their first year. That's partly because you identify gaps which weren't picked up in school and you have a period of accelerated learning progress. So anyway, for a little while, I thought, oh my gosh, I've just found the silver bullet. Um, this is great. Uh, we're going to transform math standards across the world, globally. You know, this is, this is it. The reality, uh, as, as we discovered the hard way, is that learning is a, is a community effort and um, it's more than just a silver bullet. There's, there's stakeholders involved, there's barriers that prevent learning from happening. And whether that's in the UK or some of the other uh, kind of more remote and, and challenged communities we work in around the world, there's always things that you need to take a holistic approach. And a platform is a tool that fits within a much more uh, holistic environment in which a child is growing, developing and learning. And so we've really transformed from a, um, a learning platform provider to actually a learning outcome company. So we're very focused on learning. We're obsessed about how do we deliver massive learning gains at scale. And to do that, we've had to develop a consultancy, education expertise, data mining, teacher training and development, logistics management. And yes, we provide a learning platform too. So it's, it's sort of really mushroomed beyond what I may have anticipated when we first started the company. And having checked it out, I, I can attest to just how good it is. Accessibility is a, is a question I had in my mind based on what you've just said, Richard. Um, accessibility on two levels, really. One is, uh, you know, talk about the 64-hour week um, mm. that, that, that many of us still have, actually, thinking about it. Sorry, the 64-hour um, day, I was thinking. <laughs> oh, 64-hour day. Uh, yeah, that's true, actually. 64-hour yeah. Yeah, day. Um, yeah, so the the 64... <laughs> <laughs> so, so thinking about accessibility, there's the 64-hour day uh, for, for many people. So accessibility, scalability, as you mentioned, you're giving people the opportunity to access information way beyond the boundaries that are imposed by school hours. That's, that's on yeah. one level. Yeah. But I suppose the flip side of that is the challenges of accessibility for those families who unfortunately don't have things like internet access. How, how, do you, how are you dealing with uh, those accessibility issues kind of both um, ways, I guess. Yeah, really. So, I mean, what, so we, we work, um, in a, as you mentioned earlier, in, a, in, a, in many different countries, in, including developed contexts like the, the UK and the US, but also um, uh, developing scenarios like, you know, remote communities in rural Kenya or DRC. And in various forms, what, what is sometimes called the digital divide is, is prevalent and it's very relevant. Um, so particularly this really came, came to a head with, with school closures that we've seen globally um, over the last few months with, with uh, COVID. And so device access, which is sometimes available in schools, whether it's tablets or, or, or computers, um, for certainly for many communities and many families in the UK, suddenly wasn't accessible um, you know, at home. So we, we actually... Uh, our system worked uh, very well on desktops and um, mostly on, on computers, PCs, tablets. But we've now converted it so that it, it works well on tablets and actually has a, an, a at least an effective, it's still not ideal, but an effective experience on smartphones uh, just to increase uh, that accessibility. Um, we also do a little bit of, um, uh, particularly with 
certain governments, we, we, we advise some governments on their uh, education and ICT and education strategies and thinking about how to get device access both in school and out of school is, is something that we're consistently lobbying. It's really nice to see uh, in the UK, um, uh, there's still actually a surprising number of families who don't have access um, either to devices or internet at home. And, but I think this is really, the closures have really brought prominence to that, that issue. And, uh, and the government's obviously done a lot for the UK in, in terms of furlough schemes. And now we're having a national tutoring program to help with catch up funding coming in. Um, I'm still trying to get clarity on what the, what the national efforts are to increase device and internet access at home. It's, it's certainly an issue, um, but it's one in which the trend is our friend. It's getting better. So would you mind, for those who don't know about uh, you and, uh, and what you've developed, um, would you mind just kind of walking us through? So from the moment you, you access um, Maths Wiz uh, and, mm-hmm. and Wiz more generally, what happens? You know, you switch, okay. switch on the computer. What, what are they going to expect? Because uh, I'm trying to whet the appetites of lots of people listening, going, well, actually, this sounds like a really good idea. Right? And I need to, be, uh, need to be accessing this kind of, this kind of AI. So yeah. um, walk us through so, it, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So first, it, it starts even before that. So, um, you know, if we're working, so parents sign up online, uh, you know, as an alternative to a private tutor, or sometimes in addition to a private tutor, we complement uh, quite well. So let's talk about parents, and then we'll talk about schools and, and larger uh, scale implementations in a moment. But so for a parent, they, they'll sign up online, uh, they'll get username and password, the website's whiz.com, W-H-I-Z-Z.com. And, um, uh, you know, they'll, they will have a one week free trial and uh, off they go. And when the child logs in, they'll have a sort of visual environment they, they join um, and they'll start off with an assessment and kind of based on their date of birth, we'll ask them a few math questions to kind of find out what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, a bit like a private tutor would, you know, you start once you sort of uh, introduce yourself, you go, well, what do you like? What don't you like? Let me just test out just to make sure where your level's at um, and, and get a profile. So, and what's really interesting is we've tutored over a million pupils now over the years, and I've never seen two children with the same profile. It's, it's literally like a fingerprint. It's quite extraordinary. But when you're working with a school or, or frankly, a ministry of education, um, there's a lot of background work that goes before you even start with that. You want to find out what a school's trying to achieve. What is its educational strategy? What is it, what are the, what's the infrastructure in place? Um, you need to design a sort of, you know, schools have incredibly different um, packed schedules. How do you fit that in? Where does it add value and where is it misplaced? Um, what training needs are required? Because it's great to have a load of data, but can anyone interpret it? What do you do with it? Um, so it's a, it's a much more holistic approach when you're trying to improve learning outcomes at a community level. But for an individual, yeah, they log in, a child just gets some assessment questions, they start getting tutored in an animated environment gets rewards and it's, but then what we have found, um, and I think that's, it's progressing over the years is quite often after three to six weeks, the novelty may have worn off. And, and that's really where a parent makes a big difference for their child. If they can keep that routine going and get through what we call the three to six week blues, it turns into a weekly routine and a habit. And if a child gets that retained access to individualized attention in maths, 
within a few months, you really see a difference. And frankly, within a year, frankly, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to just kill it at school. They're just going to do great. So yeah, that's probably an elaborate way of answering your question. And not, I'm brilliant and very succinctly put as well. I, and I've learned a new word today, pedagogy. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm enlightened. It's a, it's a, it's a very fancy way of saying kind of, the way in which something is taught. <laughs> I know, I love it. It's, I'm yeah. have to, I've, I've already noted it down. That's a, my yeah, new word of the week. If, if you throw it in, it sort of makes you sound clever. And I, I use that, all, you know, I do that sort of stuff, but it's, it's really just how you teach something. You yeah, know? You, you, uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. Okay, so with regard to, I mean, I'm, I'm really, for, for somebody who is not tech savvy, but, but does embrace and does welcome the technology that, that we, and all the extraordinary things that people like you do, um, artificial intelligence, uh, ed tech, education technology, um, obviously much more prevalent in society. couple of quick questions, really. One is around, uh, you've mentioned working overseas, Vietnam, one of my favorite countries on the planet, a, f- a fabulous place, and Singapore, <laughs> where I actually have an office. So we have a lot in common. Uh, and in the world of financial services as well. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know, we, we talk about demographic, you know, the millennials, the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys and so on. Um, but there, there must, I guess, be different ways and methods of learning within different communities around the world. So presumably the technology that you develop takes into account different learning styles, different, different populations, different uh, ways of life, I guess. Is, is that true or is that, yes. is that just another misguided idea that I have about technology? Uh, it, it is true in the following way. So if you're, if you're delivering a learning program in rural Kenya, for example, um, first of all, you're going to align everything to the Kenyan curriculum. Uh, you're going to adapt some of those lessons so that they are uh, contextually appropriate. And, and curriculums will help you also with using that lovely word, what pedagogies to use, and, and in some cases, what not to use. So you certainly localize it. I think one of the great things about uh, MathWiz, it's so interactive, engaging, and a visual experience that we found that that transfers extremely well. Um, so in that sense, we haven't had to adapt it a great deal. But what we then have had to adapt quite a lot is um, understanding what the challenges and barriers that may prevent learning from happening and adapting the way we design our implementations. I'm, I'm 52. So I remember the days of, you know, I, I just about remember the days of the abacus, never mind the, you know, oh, yes. um, we have a virtual we have, abacus we, in our system. <laughs> we, we have to, you know, I had to do everything. I did all my calculations by hand. There were yeah. no real calculators. Uh, the question I guess is with, with, uh, ease of access to things like, you know, even a, a calculator on your own smartphone, uh, access to the internet. There's always something that's able to do the work for you these days. Does that mean that the work you're doing to better educate people is more challenging or is it less challenging? In other words, um, is ease creating a slower learning experience or a quicker learning experience or has or, um, or was nothing really different it just has changed slightly no, I, I think it's it's not easier or harder it's it's a slightly different emphasis so at the time i'm sort of uh, i'm in my late 40s and yeah we we needed to learn methodologies and you still do and number facts if you like 
There is, uh, and you're seeing this with the way curriculums are changing around the world. Uh, there is a greater emphasis towards um, uh, conceptual understanding, uh, problem solving, because it's all very good being able to punch some numbers into a calculator. But do you know which numbers to punch in? Do you know how to apply what the answer tells you? So uh, there is definitely a, a sort of shift to uh, and a need to um, really understand the underlying mathematics, having confidence in number, having having confidence to solve problems in a logical way. And so you're seeing curriculums shift and you're seeing the pressure for all learning um, provisions to, to at least have a part. There's still, there's still, you know, people still want to know their 12 times tables or whatever it might be on why it's 12. That's a, a legacy thing, but uh, it's still, you know, quite hand, handy if you're getting change in a shop and you're buying seven things and it's eight pounds each. How much, how much is that? It's good to know that. But um, yeah, I think there's a greater emphasis. There's an increasing and growing emphasis in really having conceptual understanding underneath so you can apply it to problem solving. I only wish I knew all this 40 years ago. What a smart guy I'd be right now. <laughs> um, so you've, you've talked about whiz.com, W-H-I-Z-Z.com. I mean, that, that's impressive on its own to get a website uh, like that one without having to add a number or something else or prefix. Um, so apart from whiz.com, um, is there, I mean, how do, how do people, I'm going to encourage everyone listening to go and check this out because I have, and it is, it's fantastic. And I know lots of young people that are really going to benefit. So do check out whiz.com, but how do people find out more about, uh, Richard Marritt? You know, um, are you a, are you a social media junkie or uh, have I'm, you got any other secret projects that I'm, we don't know I'm, about? I'm the polar opposite, actually. I'm, I find myself so busy that to protect myself, I've kept myself off social media. Um, so no, I'm a dinosaur in that respect, ironically. It's funny, um, when we started with education, um, and I think that's sort of uh, one of the interesting takeaways, I really, I didn't have a formal education background and I hardly knew how to turn a computer on. So hardly the Hardly, hardly the credentials to, to set up an ed tech company. But um, I always figure you can learn all the content on the way. There's, there's sort of broader things that you need to bring to the table to make something successful. Um, but uh, to find out more, actually, what I would say, to find out about the work of the company itself as an organization, go to whizeducation.com. So you'll learn about some of the larger projects. Um, I, I'm particularly passionate about the work we're doing in in remote and rural parts of Africa, um, Mexico, where, uh, frankly, the quality of education means, means there's a total lack of equity. Um, there's literally, uh, I can tell you, again, just using Kenya as a reference, we, we work with some of the more privileged students in Nairobi who go to good private schools and, you know, at the age of 17, they're thinking about what university to go to. Their equivalents in rural, remote, and often marginalized communities in, in Kenya, they're they're struggling with 10, 11, 12 year old maths and, and their career options are frankly radically different, you know? And so being able to, having the opportunity to make a difference in those kind of environments is, is a privilege. Um, I remember when, when we sort of founded the company, I remember my head thinking certain things would, would happen a lot faster than they actually did. But one of the things I thought within 10 years, I want to, you know, we want to be making a difference to those students who really, um, don't have the opportunities that, uh, that, that many others have. 
And that actually did happen. So seven years ago, we started tutoring 100,000 really, um, as I said, impoverished pupils in 200 rural communities in Kenya, and it's grown from there. And it's, it's been really interesting to, to make a difference there. And from from a, a, a you know a different baseline. So anyway, you you can um, you can find out about that at wizeducation.com. I'd also look at uh, Wiz Education's LinkedIn profile as well. And um, yeah, I think that's where you'll find a lot. And you can frankly reach out to me. Um, uh, my email address is richard.marrett at wizeducation.com. And um, if I can't answer something, then one of my colleagues no doubt will. Well, that's that's. Uh, amazing brilliantly said and uh, and kudos to you the world needs more people like you Richard um, and you summed it up brilliantly making a difference so few people make it their life's work to make a difference so um, long may you continue to do that um, do you see yourself developing the product in terms of other areas of education for example um, other languages learning other languages because I mean I've tried and failed with all kinds of online learning uh, and having looked at what you do, I, I, I get a sense that this is the, this is the future of learning. You know, um, <clears throat> where it's interactive, it's more engaging. Um, it, it's not just black and white. It's developed and shaped to your own learning style, which is so important to keep people on that engaged in that process. Do you see yourself doing other things beyond what you're doing at the yeah. moment? Uh, and certainly that's, that's certainly in our vision. Um, we, we sort of decided early days that we were going to deep dive into one subject and do it really well. We wanted to make sure that we were making both a measurable difference to children, but actually also a qualitative one. And one of the things that gives me pleasure when I, when I visit, when I hear from parents who've had their children on maths whiz or, or go to schools, it, every time I go into school, you know, a, a teacher will present to me a child and say to me, Oh, this, this girl used to be really shy, you know, wasn't very confident in maths. And interesting enough, not only has her maths blossomed, but her confidence has blossomed. And so she's now more and more engaged person in, in other subjects as well. So, um, that's, that's fantastic. And, um, the sheer investment required to build this out and build it at quality is, is one of the things that, you know, we need to address to accelerate that vision. Uh, but also a lot of the skill sets in terms of how to implement at scale these sort of effective learning technologies are things that cross the boundary of, su- of subjects. So quite often in, in uh, some of our larger scale projects, we will actually take third party uh, platforms and bring them in in different subjects. But it's certainly our intention to, we currently cover the curriculum from reception through to the end of year eight. Uh, in, in the UK, for example, and we want to go all the way up to GCSE and then other core subjects um, like literacy, English, um, um, and some of the science subjects as well. So those core subjects that, that really are sort of foundational uh, that help pupils uh, grow and develop and take on the opportunities that are right for them in life. Okay, so Richard, final question, if, if I may, and, and thank you for sharing I mean, it's an amazing concept, a brilliant business. And as I said earlier, um, we all doff our cap to people like you who can make a real difference in the world. So I suppose a particular question, of course, now is um, if a younger version of you, and I know you've got a four-year-old, um, yeah. <laughs> let's imagine the four-year-old's now 11 and, and he jumps up on uh, your knee and says, right, daddy, you know, I, I've, I've followed in your footsteps. I've seen all the amazing things you've been doing. Uh, in terms of my own life, in terms of the things that I aspire to do and the difference I want to make in the world or 
or just a career path I want to follow, if you could encapsulate everything you've learned, you know, all the successes and failures along the way, and could give me um, something, a, a mantra, a, a, an idea to live by for the rest of my life, if it was just one or two things, what would those one or two simple bits of advice be to Richard Marritt Jr.? I think um, one of the things Wiz has taught me and humbled me, um, if I had to give you a mantra, it, it taught me that I had a, a great deal of resilience and resourcefulness, and it's really been needed. If you want to build an organization that has an impact, there's going to be so many barriers, hurdles in, in, in the way, some of them brought upon by yourself um, because of your own limitations, and the willingness to learn, to be humble, and adapt and change um, is really required and resourcefulness is going to be really required because sometimes you're going to get up in real trouble and you're going to have to figure out how to get out of it. So I would say resilience and resourcefulness have been critical for me. Um, and then each of us as individuals, as we go through our careers, we'll have our own specific, uh, things we've needed to learn. And, uh, there's been numerous ones for me, but one of the things that I noticed that I was very challenged by I, I had a sort of, um, uh, I guess, entrepreneurial approach to setting up with education in that I had a vision for making an impact globally. I had a, we had a sort of path, uh, a concept of how we were going to do that. And I think those of your listeners who've got that entrepreneurial mindset was sort of know where they're at today, know where they want to go get to and just figure it out. But as you build an organization, it requires a very, very different uh, approach, particularly when you start scaling. And, and we really struggled to scale. We, we had a lot of own goals in the last few years. And I don't think I appreciated what it took and the, the degree of emphasis required to build um, the leadership, the systems, and the processes to enable people within an organization to, to really flourish. And... Uh, I'm working really hard on that now, working on the business to, to, to make that successful so that we can have, you know, so that we can impact a hundred million children rather than just a million. So, um, that was my, that's been one of my personal things because it's almost counterintuitive to a, to an entrepreneur. You know, you think it's enough to just say, here we are, that's where we're going, get to it. Uh, we need, you need a lot more in place to do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and, and to all of you, thank you for joining us once again on the Sandro Forte podcast. I have to say, one, one of the most interesting conversations I've had with, 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 with somebody who's been so innovative uh, and, and so driven to really um, support the needs of so many people all around the world, different uh, cultures and communities. Uh, and long may Richard continue to do what he's doing. So thank you to Richard Marrick for being an absolutely super guest today. Remember, every week we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. Please make sure you subscribe and tell all your friends and family about it as well. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Sandro's Podcast. Don't forget the little S in the middle. And let us, or of course, Richard Marrick, because he's been kind enough to uh, give us his uh, email address. He might regret doing that. And do let us know what you thought of today's podcast. And if you'd like to email us directly with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. Please leave those reviews on iTunes. They're really important so we know what kind of guests you'd like in the future. And that's where actually we've heard Richard's name mentioned a few times before. So do keep those emails coming. And finally, remember to connect with me. It's at Sandro40 on Twitter and the real Sandro40 Instagram and Facebook. Thank you once again to Richard Marriott and to everyone listening. Goodbye for now, this time next week.